Good morning. My name is Christina Kadimis, and I'm a member of the Bojangles Coliseum Community Group, uh, which was recently shortened to BOCO to really make it sound like a neighborhood, apparently. <laughs> this morning's reading is from Luke 1, 13 through 17, Matthew 11, 2 through 6, and verse 11, and Matthew 14, 1 through 12. So starting in Luke. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must, he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And then from Matthew 11, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all of the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And then from Matthew 14. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, it is against John, uh, God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him, so he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl, who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. Good morning, my name is Josh Kim. I'm assistant pastor here at Christ Central. And today, in continuation of the last week, in the season of Advent, we will see Christmas from perspective of different characters in the scripture, hence the sermon series is called The Cast of Christmas. Before I begin, I received uh, many feedback uh, from last week's sermon, and one of the feedback I received was actually from our missionaries in Brazil. 
Tim and Jenna Reed actually have a new newsletter that's printed for you with the pictures. You can pick it up on our table in the back uh, for December. Uh, they emailed me saying, we don't know who Bluey is, <laughs> but we can relate to the summertime in Christmas. And again, if you know the geography, Brazil is in the southern hemisphere, meaning it's the summertime, but they're celebrating Christmas there, and they say it's hot there as well, to which I replied, you will soon find out who Bluey is, especially since you're anticipating the birth of your son, but we are praying for you as we think about them. All this to say, Tim and Jenna and our missionaries, we're praying for you, if you're watching, and Christ Central, may we remember all our missionaries all around the world, as well as in the States, in this season of Advent. Amen? Amen. Amen. Back to our sermon this week. We're continuing our sermon series called The Cast of Christmas. And just this last week, I want us to wonder and think about what would Christmas look like for this particular character in the Scripture? And last week, we looked at Zechariah, the father of John the, Bap John the Baptizer, and what he learned during his first Christmas for him. And today, in continuation of the family line that we will see, we will place ourselves in the, the mindset of John the Baptizer and wonder and think about what would Christmas mean for John the Baptizer today. And it is a familiar theme for all of us. The child of the prophecy, born to fulfill his or her destiny. And we find this theme throughout the popular movies that you and I like, mainly Star Wars. All the fans, we love Star Wars about the Luke Skywalker, now Ray Skywalker, fulfilling the prophecy told of the Force, the one that is to come, right? Or for the Harry Potter fans, we all know the son of the promise that is to come with all the potential, all the, the magic in his hands. And the theme of following the father's footstep is seen throughout the Marvel movies, too, that we love and cherish. Iron Man, Black Panther, and more recently, Shang-Chi, who was born to face the father, eventually carried the family tradition with the, the martial arts, the second to none, that comes from the mother's side. Theme is also found throughout the sports dynasties that we learn to love, such as the Mannings, the Currys, or Cordas for LPGA, albeit in different sports. How about the business world? We look at all these dynasties, all these uh, the lines of business, right? Waltons, the Rockefellers, the politics we see, the Kennedys, the Prince Charles, Prince Williams, or Japanese emperor, and a daughter that recently made the news for abdicating her throne to marry, quote-unquote, a commoner. So we see these themes of family, being like your father, carrying on the family tradition, as if you say, seen throughout all of our lives, both in politics, business, sports, you name it, the movies. And today's cast that we find today is in a similar situation. The cast we're looking at is John the Baptizer, and we looked at Zechariah the priest last week. For John the Baptizer, most famous to us, perhaps, than his father Zechariah, was a Nazarite by birth. Nazarite, according to scripture, as we read today, is set apart from the birth for a special purpose of God. A child of prophecy given to his family, a bearer of the first prophecy in over 400 years, named not after his own father, but a name given to him by angel Gabriel. The path that he was to go on, a journey of the Christmas, the coming of Christ, 
What did that really mean for him, following the footsteps of his father, Zechariah? And by all means, you and I are not called to be John the Baptizer. Scripture is very clear that those who are called to be Nazarite, and none of us are called to be Nazarite, I believe, but Scripture is also clear that those who are called and who believe in Christ of Christmas are adopted as sons and daughters of God, and we are called to follow after him. And we see that throughout the life of John the Baptizer, what I want us to examine is, especially for those who are followers of Christmas, followers of Christ in Christmas, in the season of Advent, as we await the coming King, as we await the anticipated arrival of Christmas, what does Christmas mean for us? What does a Christmas mean in anticipation of the coming King, waiting, preparing, not only for the first arrival, but the second arrival of our King? And what we find is that John the Baptizer was a lot like his father, like father, like son in Zechariah in his experience of Christmas for him. The two things we'll look at, first, we'll see that his experience of Christmas was very similar to his father. That's why, like father, like son. And the second thing we'll look at is ultimately he is called to be like the son, the son of Christmas. First thing we look at, like father, like son. For John the baptizer, we see that his experience mirrors a lot that of Zechariah that we saw last week. If you weren't here with us last week, we saw the priest Zechariah was chosen by God to enter the holy place, offer a prayers in the midst of it all. Angel Gabriel appears to him and gives him this prophecy in verse 13 of Gospel of Luke chapter 1. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, talking about Nazarite bow here. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, he says. And he'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Church, we also know that John the Baptist's life did not plan his life to be a preparer of the Lord did not start in the New Testament, right? It did not start because Zechariah was such a godly person, a priest, a person who prayed a lot for this birth to happen. In fact, we see that his plan for his life for John the Baptist, just like Zechariah's was, was in works even before he was born, long before Zechariah and Elizabeth got together, even before long before they weren't even born. The prophecy we find in the Old Testament comes from Isaiah chapter 43. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Talking about John the baptizer that is come to prepare the way of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You see, John the baptizer's life was fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament long before. And fittingly, just as Zechariah was reminded that God had planned for him, it was the same with John the baptizer. The Christmas for John the baptizer meant when Jesus was born was a reminder that God 
had a plan for his entire life. Imagine that. His birthday celebration, every birthday, right? His parents get around and say, you are a child of prophecy. You are called to prepare the way of the Lord. You're called to prepare the way of the Lord. You're called to prepare the way of the Lord. You can imagine what his birthday celebration looked like. Not only was he PK, but his life was a celebration, a reminder that God had a plan, not only for Zechariah, Elizabeth, for his life, as well as for the rest of the nation. It was so tied in with that. And from the early age, he was told the plan for his life was to prepare the way of the Lord. Church, again, we're by no means called to be a John the Baptizer today. However, the Christmas, the essence of the story of Christmas reminds us, just as it did for John the Baptizer, that God has a plan for you and I. Those who celebrate the coming of Christ in the Christmas season recognize and indicate that we belong to him. After all, God sends his son to deal with our sin. The promise that's wrapped up in the life and the heart of Christmas is what theologians call the doctrine of incarnation. The fact that God would send his son to take on the human flesh, the God of the universe, take on human flesh for what purpose? So that he could come to deal with our sin once and for all. God's resounding answer to our struggle with sin is this, that I will send my son to take on the human flesh and I will deal with your sin so you could be mine and the glory of God will be revealed. If that isn't, I have a plan for your life from God. What is more than that? For John the baptizer, each day was a reminder of this truth, his destiny, his call. And each day as we anticipate the coming of our Savior, as we celebrate the season of Advent, it's a reminder for us, again, to anticipate that this is our God who's coming, who have called us to follow him. We have a purpose and plan that's bigger than just gifts and celebration and the rest time because you and I are called to be included in the family of God. Church, our awesome team led by our children's director, Aaron McFadden, has set up children's ministry, Happy Birthday Jesus Box, for many of our families here. And as I was signing up, as I was looking through it, I realized what a joy, a celebration this is going to be. And as I, I don't know about you, but every time any boxes like this is presented to us, and as we go through this season, not only we're discipling our children, but I'm discipled by our children's director learning what it means to celebrate this season properly. And you don't have to have children to do that, right? You don't have to have children in that age to anticipate the coming of Christ. And I pray that this season, as we anticipate the arrival of your king, that we will remember the purpose, our origin story during this Christmas season, as we anticipate the arrival of Christ. But that wasn't the only way John the baptizer mimicked the life of Zechariah. But being like the father Zechariah not only meant that he remembered that his life was in the hands of the Lord, but in some ways, in other, in other ways, we anticipate and we see that John the baptizer also has periods of doubts and questions. After John the baptizer, if you're familiar with the scripture story, baptizes Christ 
he seems to disappear from the Bible's story. Some theologians say, in fact, he has done his job. He has prepared the way of the Lord. So with the baptizing of the Son of God, his role is done. So now he fades into the background. Now Christ takes the center stage, and rightly so. And only a little bit later, we see a glimpse of John the baptizer coming out again. In Luke chapter 3, verse 18 to 20, it says, John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to his many others. So perhaps you're thinking, all right, that's why he's not out there. Before we find John the Baptist out in the desert, fulfilling his call, baptizing people, calling people to repentance. And Christ comes, now he baptizes Christ, now he fades in the background. Not only so, he's locked away in a prison. Locked away in a prison of the Herod. And only in Matthew 11, we see John the baptizer reappearing. And here, John the baptizer asks Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, it says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard all about the things Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting, or should we be anticipating someone else? And just like his father Zechariah, John the baptizer also faces a moment of doubt. And we may wonder, come on, John, Like, anyone can doubt, right? But not you, right? Don't you understand? Your life was planned out by God, right? Your name was given by angel Gabriel. Of all the people in the world that could doubt, but not you, why would you doubt like this? You are a child of prophecy after all. Hey, you also not only a child of prophecy, but you baptized him. Wait, didn't you see like heavens open up, the doves coming down and declaring that this is Son of God in whom he is well pleased? Why would you doubt? But before we throw stones at John the baptizer for his doubt, you can also sympathize with him, can you not? Here is a child of the prophecy who saw the Holy Ghost. Here is a man whom he calls his unworthy to stoop down to tie his shoelaces. His ministry, all his work, all his life pointed to this man and his work. All his life is dedicated. Everything that he did, sacrificed all this so he could fulfill the prophecy of preparing the way of the Lord. But where is he today? Where is John today? In Matthew 11, he's locked up in the prison for speaking out the truth speaking the truth like he has always have done. So after Jesus is baptized, what happens to John? Seems like nothing happens to him. Rather than seeing the masses that he had prophesied turn and come to Christ, rather than seeing the nation rise out of the heaps, here is John who is in prison for speaking out. No wonder, perhaps, that he is doubting and questioning Furthermore, John is locked away, not having any contact 
or understanding of the context of what's happening, perhaps he's wondering, where is this Christ, the Messiah, the release of captives, the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah 61? Why isn't he doing something about it? Let alone, why isn't he getting me out of this prison if he is indeed the Savior of the world? And church, don't we all sometimes wonder the same? Where is Christ? In our circumstances that you and I go through, in the valleys of the shadow of death, how come God doesn't show up? Why doesn't God provide the financial means that is so necessary during this time? Why doesn't God heal our illnesses? Why doesn't God simply just take away this deadly virus once and for all? Why doesn't God avenge my enemies? Where is justice? Why do people who have done wrong walk away free? Why are the losses seemingly piling up? Especially in the season that you and I are in, where people are wondering, where is God in this pandemic, in this suffering? Where people are thinking and rethinking of their faith, and wondering, is this church or church period a place for me? Where many minoritized members are leaving the church in masses, wondering, does this make any sense? I've had many conversations with you in your own personal questions and doubts as well. By all means, many are sitting here wondering the same. Church, what I want us to see this morning is that our God is not beyond our questions and doubts. Do you believe that? Oftentimes, we get so scared of doubts and questions, but our God does not shy away from that at all. Rather, He's absolutely in the midst of it, understands it, sees you in it, walks with you in it, and He will pull you out of it. How do I know that? Notice how Jesus replies to John the baptizer in this text. Just like his father Zacharias was let out and faith was drawn out, John the baptizer also experiences this loving, gracious response from Christ whom he doubts. Matthew 11:4. Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those who with leprosy are cured, the deaf here, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God bless those who do not fall away because of me. Here in these verses, Jesus addresses John and speaks to him, reminds John and points him to the Christ's work, life, and ministry of Christ, gently reminds him of the prophecy he told people about. Shows him that he taught others were fulfilled in Christ's life and ministry. He, in fact, is the Savior, the Messiah, who makes the blind see, the lame walk, the cures the lepers, opens the ears of the dead, the one who has power to raise the dead. The good news of preaching Messiah is still at work. The one whom you told others to believe is also the one who you can hold on to. Believe in this, John, says the Savior. And you know what's amazing? You know what verse Jesus is quoting here? This comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35 and 61. Remember the prophecy of John the baptizer? Same prophet. 
who called, there will be a preparer. Here, Jesus speaks to him through the same prophets, reminding him not only of his life purpose that was fulfilled in preparing, but one who began the good work who will carry it on to completion and gently encourages him to remain faithful in it. When we read this text, we often focus on John's doubts and questions. However, the proper focus should be on Christ's encouragement. Church, our God is much bigger than our doubts and questions. He is in any way shaken by the systems of the world or circumstances. Why are we as a church at times so scared of world systems, the tools, even questions and doubts? Why do we shy away from those things rather than confidently going forth in our conviction and confession that Christ crucified? We, especially as a people who value the inerrancy of the word of the Lord, why do we often fear doubts and questions? Why do we fear the systems of the world when we have the inerrant teaching of God? Fear not, church. Gospel is same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do you not believe that? Do you not believe the gospel will carry on and be victorious no matter who is sitting here? Do you not know that he will be victorious? Do you not unnecessarily push people away from the gospel with your fears by labels and accusations? Our God, church, is much bigger and greater. Author Matthew Lee Anderson spoke of doubt in another sense as he says, doubt is not an inevitable part of the Christian life, nor is a sign of maturity or strength, but it will always remain a possibility. And he goes on to say, even the strong have seasons of weakness, and it is the strong who are able to acknowledge those seasons as such. And here strong are those who are firmly planted in Christ, who Christ holds on to them. The real focus of this narrative is in the comforting words of Christ, who understood John was going through and gently reminds him of what his need is. And you know what is so amazing about this? Right after this, this is what Jesus says of John. I tell you the truth. In verse 11 of Matthew 11, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Notice the assessment of John is not dependent upon his doubts and questions. The assessment of John is absolutely dependent upon God's call placed upon his life. And he says the same to all of us. Your strength of faith is not dependent on how well you behave, but the promise, the Savior that lives in you. That's the promise. In the John's darkest hours, Jesus shines brighter and lovingly guides him out of it. One of my favorite Christmas carols is O Holy Night. Of all the things that we sang today as well, and this is one of the things I love as well, and many of you love this, and you're probably familiar with verse 1, right? It says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. But actually, I really like verse 2 a little bit more. Verse 2 says, The king of kings lay dust in a lowly manger. In all our trial, born to be our friend. 
He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king before him lowly bent. Behold your king who knows our need, our weakness is now a stranger. And that's exactly what Christmas was for John. The king of kings who came, it wasn't about all the great things that he did, but all the great work Christ is doing on behalf of God's people for the purposes of Christ. May this be a season where we do not remember our works, but remember the work of Christ done in our lives, even in the periods of doubt and questions. Amen? Not only John the baptizer, the Christmas meant that he was like father, like son, in following the footsteps of his father, Zechariah, but also this Christmas reminded him that he was called to be like the son of Christmas story. For John the baptizer, Christmas meant that God set a plan for him and here we come across John again in Matthew chapter 14 in being like the son he came to prepare the way. Matthew chapter 14 verse 1 through 12 talks about John's tragic death. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, this must be John, the Baptist raised from the dead. This is why he can do such miracles for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole narrative again, but basic story in Matthew chapter, what we find is that John the baptizer is beheaded. He's killed in a prison, martyred. John the baptizer was in prison for speaking out against the wrongful marriage of Herod and Herodias and using her treachery. Herodias, after dancing, enticing his father, her father, with erotic dance, he asked, for John the baptizer's head on a platter. And John the baptizer here, we find him unceremoniously beheaded in jail. And here the story goes about Herod's fear of what he has done, mistaking Christ for John. That's the story of John the baptizer in the scripture. Oftentimes we focus so much on the glorious ministry of John, do we not? How many times you have heard about the sermons on, here's John the baptizer who baptizes Christ. Here's John the baptizer who sacrifices and prepares way of the Lord. Here's John the baptizer who ate locusts and honey, who preached and many, many, even the powerful came and be baptized under him. But how many times you heard that he was beheaded? Beheaded in the jail, pressed by himself, without any ceremonies, or any celebration at that. But that is, in fact, the end of John the Baptizer on earth. In many ways, this is tragic. Here is a child of prophecy. Perhaps you may say he did not fulfill his potential. Perhaps he did not fulfill what he was called to do. He bore an important task outlined in the Old Testament in role of a forerunner preparing the way, but at the hands of the evildoer is beheaded. And no one, no one is around perhaps to see it. Furthermore, he was a man who called many to repentance. But here he couldn't even save himself, as someone would say. He has a power and teaching like the revealed prophet Elijah, but not a power to save himself. But much more, he was the one who signaled the start of Christ's 
public ministry. Again, after all, many of us can say, how many of us can say, I baptized Jesus with water? And he was, he was also present when Triune God affirmed him. Because his life comes to a tragic end, not glorious, but in the prison without a story. Again, perhaps in the eyes of the world, Christmas for John wasn't only that God had a plan for him, that he still speaks tenderly into his life and doubts, but perhaps in the eyes of the world, Christmas meant that he would tragically die, that he doesn't get to see the fruit of his labor, that he doesn't see justice being done on his behalf, rather evildoer flourish and laugh and party at his expense. And as far as the scripture reminds us, most of his life was spent either in the home of Zechariah or the desert or in the jail. How many of us would sign up for that kind of life? I want to be home, go out to the desert by myself, eat locusts and honey, and go to jail and die, all in the name of following Christ. Truly, yes, preparing the way, but not seeing the way, nor the fruit of the way fulfilled as Christ fulfills it. So what did Christmas, the coming of Christ, signify for John? Was it a failure? Absolutely not, right? Rather, what we see is John the Baptist's life, all of his life embodied this glorious call to follow Christ. Not only embodying the message of preparing the way of the coming Lord, but also preparing the way of Christ's path towards the cross. Here, a forerunner is in fact not only called to preach the message of reconciliation, preach the message of repentance, but we see the forerunner is also called to prepare the way to the cross. In his death, martyrdom, John the baptizer foreshadows what is to come. Crucifixion of Christ. Here in the life of John, he reflects what Christmas is all about. He's not only called to prepare and preach, but he's called to live his life and prepare people for the death of Christ on the cross. He is truly called to be like the Son. Jesus came to call church his own to himself in the season of Christmas. And the path of following Christ in the season of Christmas is not with Christmas trees, gifts, and carols. Rather, what we are reminded in this season of Christmas of coming Christ is the gospel call that goes forth and says, I have come to save those who are mine, but now the hope and the call that comes to you and I is to follow after our King. Jesus tells his disciples after Peter's confession that Christ is indeed Christ, the Son of the living God, the great profession, the reminder of who Christ is of Christmas. And this is what Christ tells the disciples who are following him in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Church, Christ did not come on the Christmas to say, here's a gift, here's a two-week vacation, 
and here's a family time that you needed, a nice snowboarding trip to Utah for you to go on. He did not say, hey, I come to free you to enjoy your life as your own, experience nirvana, or your enemies will all perish because they have wronged you this time. You're naughty, you're nice, be nice. He doesn't say, here's a lottery-winning ticket for you, not only of material possession, but your life prosperity. That's not what Christ comes to say, doesn't he? Rather, the message of Christmas church Christ gives in this season is this. Here is the gift of salvation that is found only in Christ. Come, deny yourself. Humble yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. The path of following Christ is filled with the valleys of shadows of death. It is filled with challenges. There is no promise that you will be prosperous on earth. Your desire to influence, to overcome the challenges of the world isn't promised at all. And what's promised is actually the path of John the baptizer, the path of the cross, to be like the sun. Here is the gospel promise, church. Our God who loves us sent his son, and John 3.16 reminds us, and if the son who in his humble obedience lowers himself to the point of death, as Philippians 2 reminds us. And it is this son who calls his followers to follow the path of the cross in Matthew 16. And this son promises that our battle will be won, not in the earthly sense of the materialism, but in the spiritual warfare. And this son promises that you and I are more than conquerors, according to Romans 8. And the hope is that this Christ, the king, is not yet done with us, he who began a good work will carry it on to purpose and completion, according to Philippians chapter 1. And this God will work all things out, even through the valleys of the shadow of death, according to Romans 8.28, for your good, which is the purpose, after all, in following Christ. And this God promises that he will return, as told in Revelation, and he calls you and I to follow him. Church, all children of God, are you embracing this call this season? Are you embracing this call of Christ in this season to prepare the way of the Lord, take the cross to follow after him? The Son, the Savior, is calling us this morning to follow him. The saints of old and now are calling you to follow them as they follow Christ. This Christmas, again, is God's loving call for you to take your cross, to lose your life so you will find it in Christ. Well, church, what posture we will take if we live and embrace this call of the gospel? What posture you and I could take? If anything, this Christmas, this Advent, is God's gentle reminder of the purpose and plan for you and I why you are created, and what our path is. And this posture that we have to take is not trying to outdo one another or get, out of, get our way, or argue one to death, or strike fear in others' hearts with our firm grip on orthodoxy. Rather, our posture will embrace this gospel truth is that our lives will be marked with the humility of Philippians chapter 2, embodying kernel of the wheat dying cross-bearing, loving one another, 
type of Christianity, that despite losing our preferences, desires, type of Christianity, that will be so attractive to the watching world, the result being the overwhelming community that can't help but to be inviting place for all who fall short of the glory of God, who welcome those who are in desperate need of grace of our Savior, because you and I are in the same boat not elevating one sin over the other, not elevating one gift above the other, not following a personality or prosperity, you're following the Son, embracing the one who are not like us, but reflecting the beauty of Christ. That's the posture of a church filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not labeling, not pushing, not being fearful of outside systems, but firmly holding on to the true teaching of Christ crucified. That church is the gospel call that you and I are called to live. That church is the gospel call that you and I are to reflect in this season of Christmas. Another Christmas carol I absolutely love is titled The Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Again, you guys like, oftentimes, like the first one, like me. Because that's what all we hear at times, right? Here, the verse one says, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God the sinners reconcile. Joyful all ye nations ride. Joy the triumph of the sky. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. But again, my favorite verse is found in verse three. And it says this, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Heart the herald's angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Church, that's why he came. So that you and I will have new birth in Christ. But the new birth means take your cross and follow after our Savior who denied himself, gave up his life so that you and I will find life in him. But before we close, here is our ultimate hope. The hope that John the baptizer holds on to even in his death in the jail cell. Do you know John the baptizer reappears in the scripture? Do you know that? He reappears again. And you may be thinking, well, pastor, I have read the Bible. I don't see him anywhere else, right? He died. Only Christ rose again. Yes, Absolutely. But look with me in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. It says, They shouted to the Lord, they who? The martyrs. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Is John the baptizer a martyr? He belongs in this group of martyrs crying for justice, crying for God to come again. Revelation 7, 9, and 11 
After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to come, from every nation, tribe, and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders, four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. John the baptizer here again appears shouting, glory to the Lord. Here comes the king. And this time he's joined by the saints, the cloud of the witnesses. And church, that's our invitation to join in, to gather with John the baptizer, to cry, our king is coming. Our king is returning. Our king is coming back. That's the invitation of the gospel call. Let's pray. Church, will you pray with me? Our king is coming. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer. As we think about the life of John the baptizer and the life and the call and the life he lived and died and the life and the, the death you are calling us to live and die, to testify to who you are and to place our absolute faith in this Savior. Father, may this season of Christmas not only be filled with laughters of family, friends, gifts, celebration, even giving, as good as that is, sacrificing, as good as that is, volunteering, as good as that is, Lord. But in the midst of all that, may we never lose our focus on our Savior who comes to deliver this message of hope and for those especially who are here because it's Christmas season, may that story of the gospel call be so clear. Not only through the preached word, but also through the actions and the posture of your church. May that be reflected in all of us as we gather to pray, to celebrate, to sing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.